You're listening to the Volleyball by Design podcast. Today, we are going to talk about eight in-game adjustments that you can make to help your team get that just that little advantage um, as the match is going along to give you a better chance to win. Sometimes those small in-game adjustments can really translate into a one point, two points, maybe even three points, and that can change momentum in a match quickly. So it's an episode you don't want to miss. Hi, I'm Coach Brian Singh, and after a number of years coaching competitive volleyball and as the head coach of the biggest college in Canada, I've become obsessed with helping coaches improve their knowledge and skills of the game by teaching them how to coach efficiently and effectively to ultimately reach their volleyball goals. I created the Volleyball by Design podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step strategies so you can get clarity and apply what you learn right away. This is the Volleyball by Design podcast. What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 93 of the Volleyball by Design podcast. How is everyone doing out there today? Hope you guys are doing well. Um, I know in Canada out here, we are in playoff mode for uh, for volleyball on the men's side and the women's side, actually. Um, unfortunately, not for my team, as you, as you know on last week's episode. Our team lost... Uh, we were the final eight, got lost in that quarterfinal match uh, to the number one team in the country, uh, but it was a great learning experience. But nevertheless, I, as a volleyball fan, I'm still looking forward to seeing playoff ball and seeing you know what, what teams, how teams elevate their game when it really matters. So um, that's what we're happen- what we're doing. Um, if you are a new listener, welcome to the podcast. My name is Coach Brian Singh, and I'm the host of the podcast. And as always, every week we try to drop some knowledge, some tangible things you can take back to your gym and apply to your team right away. And if you are a regular listener, welcome back. As always, you know, I appreciate you guys that are tuning in. We are in 93, unbelievable, in 93 episodes. That is crazy. I, you know, sometimes it's nice to look back and I started this podcast, how long ago was it? 2020. June of 2020, I believe it was, is when I started this podcast. And I have been consistent every week so far, so good. Every week I've been dropping an episode and uh, I, I, I love it. I love doing this. I love sharing what I know about the game to try to grow this game to another level. And hopefully, you know, more importantly than growing the game, I really enjoy working with coaches and helping you guys out and in any way I can to help improve you. That's, you know, that's, that's what I'm here for. So we're going to talk about um, eight in-game adjustments. Now there are a lot, there are, there are probably more adjustments that you can make um, in games, but there is... There's definitely some of them that, that have, I think, a little bit more merit than others um, or more value. And it's funny, you know, I'll tell you a quick story. We were, oh, what is this? This was, might have been, I want to say, three years ago. We were the number one team or number two team in, in, in our conference. We were playing the number one team in the conference at the time. And really, really good, good game. We were actually down 0-2, so best three out of five sets. We were down two sets. This team had won two sets, so we had to do. We had to make some changes, and I, us as a coaching staff determined what in-game adjustments we were going to make. We changed some matchups, we changed some things around backcourt, and we changed a little bit of our offense as well and how we were going to approach this set. And we made these little, little subtle changes, and we won the third set. And then we continued to make in-game adjustments as we needed to, and we won the fourth set. And then we made it to the fifth. 
And in that fifth, both teams have made their adjustments and it was just, you know, who could really take the, take it to just another level to get that advantage. And we won. We won three straight sets and took that match three sets to two. And I normally... I normally don't like to take credit for wins because it's at the at the end of the day it's, it's the players who are performing on the court. But that was the first time in our coach in my coaching career and with my coaching staff who's been with me for years, we looked at each other and we're like this was our win. <laughs> we we won this game. I mean not to say the, the players absolutely had a a very important role in the game and you know of course they they won it themselves but we were like our adjustments were the reason that put us in a position to win this game and we did so we kind of patted ourselves on the back there but it was it was a really important lesson for me as a coach and as well as my coaching staff is sometimes in a game you know it's about those little changes, those little nuances that could really give you that extra one or two point. And if it does, all of a sudden it shifts momentum and you control the tempo of the match and then you never know what could happen from there on. So it was a, it was a really cool thing. We won that, we won that uh, match three sets to two and it was a great win to close out that, that road trip we had over there. But anyways, I digress. Let's talk about the in-game adjustments that you guys can make. So the first in-game adjustment you can make is a simple one, and that is matchups. If you are in the middle of a first set and you realize that their best attacker is lined up with one of your weaker blockers, then in the second set, you're going to want to make sure that you line up your better blocker against that attacker. And it's important to note where the starting rotation was. So if, for example, their best attacker was to start in position four, which would make sense because that allows that player to, to be in the front court for three rotations at the beginning of the set, which is smart on the coaching standpoint because you want your best attacker to be there in the beginning of the match multiple times in the front row where they can dominate the, the first part of the match. So you as a coach now, when it comes to making your in-game adjustments in that second set, you may want to see that, okay, you know what? We are going to match our best blocker up with their best attacker to make sure that when they're front row, um, we're our best blocker is front row as well. And that's just a small matchup that you can you can alter as well. Um, you know, the in, t- in terms of other matchups, that's pro- that's probably the biggest one. Is um, you could also look at it from a standpoint where let's match up our best attacker against their weakest blocker. So vice versa. Um, our, our best blocker may not be our best attacker. And if you have a situation where your best blocker is a different player than your best attacker, then you could see how you can stagger them to match up with the other team's weakest blocker as well as the other team's best attacker. So that's the game. That's the game of chess that you got to figure out. And the way you do that is just understanding. That's why it, sometimes it's nice to have assistant coaches where you could see where did that player start their rotation at the beginning of the match. Or, or where did they finish? You know, you can kind of get a, you can gauge where they were relative to where you were, or you could just see, well, based on their positioning, we need to make, we need to switch our blocking lineup. So wherever your blocker was originally at the beginning of the match, you're going to rotate them around so that they're maybe not front court, they're back court. So that's how you look at your matchups. Okay. Your best blocker versus their best attacker, your best attacker versus their weakest blocker and exploit that mismatch. Strategy number two, let's talk about middles. So generally speaking, middles have tendencies. You know, you normally middles are going to like to swing to position five or they like to cut the ball to position one, or sometimes a middle will just swing straight into six. Now, if you are blocking against a middle that's swinging straight into six, that's fantastic because block like blockers, that's a blocker's dream if they're going to block straight up. 
But if if they've been coached well, they're going to be trained to swing either to position one or position five. So as a middle, the problem is we may not know where they like to go. Or, we, we, or maybe we've done film on them and we, we know where they like to go, but they change in the middle of the match. So what we want to do is as the match, as the set is progressing, if we notice a tendency, we notice that, wait a minute, this player is only swinging five, then that's an in-game adjustment where we as a middle blocker will now take away position five. So we'll block, you know, we'll shift over a little bit, we'll block that position five away to force the middle to, sh- to make a different shot, either swing one, which clearly they haven't been doing all set long, so that might make them switch into a different shot and a weaker shot. And that's why we want to see which we can take away. And same thing, if they were swinging one all the time as a middle blocker, you would take position one away from the attacker by you know taking that area of the court away. Now, I do want to mention what's important is that if you are going to take an area away, like you're going to take away five, you're going to take away one, it's important to communicate with the player in position six. So normally what happens is when the middle is front court blocking, before this ball is even served, they will put behind their back where they're taking away. So if you if you see your middle blocker put five fingers up, so like open hand behind their back, that means they're taking away five. If they close their fist, that means they're taking away six. So it's good for the player in position six to know that. Why? Because if our middle is taking away five, if our middle is blocking five, then the player in position six is going to shift over closer to one because now they have to help on that one side in the event that that middle cuts to one because there's no point in the in the uh, player in position six shifting over to five because now we're blocking five. So we're, you know, we're not being effective, uh, efficient there. So middles, make sure your middles are communicating with your backcourt player in six, which, uh, which blocking area they're taking away, whether it's five or one. Okay, so that's number. Two, that's the second in-game adjustment you can make. The third in-game adjustment you can make is understanding certain tendencies from the middle blocker. So sometimes you, um, the other team's middle blocker may start releasing early in a different location, and that's really important for us to know because if they're, let's say for example, they're releasing early to the left side. Well, if they're releasing early to the left side, that means that they're not respecting our middle attack. And that'd be an op- opportunity for you to run middle because they should, in theory, have a one on nothing. Or you could even set the right side because their middle is releasing to the left side, meaning that right side is going to have a one on one for sure, guaranteed. And as we know, if an opponent, if an attacker has a one on one, nine out of ten times they're supposed to score. They have the advantage. So uh, what we do is we normally have our one of our assistant coaches. They'll look and see you know what exactly if the middle's releasing early or if they're not and sometimes our our middle attacker right off the bat can see and they'll communicate that with our setter saying hey listen this middle is releasing early they're not respecting me at all let, let me get the next in system set so that's a small i mean i guess it's not really an in-game adjustment it's more of a read in game but i like to still recognize it as an adjustment because these are adjustments that we can continue to make as the set goes along but what's important is to be aware of it and be able to recognize it because if you're not aware of it then your 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 offense is running blindly you're just hitting you know whatever option you feel is is great at that point in time without a purpose we want to set the right player in the right moment and that's where high level setting comes in so understanding that is important and this is something you can reinforce during a film session with your team it's something that you coaches can look at as well seeing whether or not you know a blocker was releasing early and whether or not you made the right decision at a point when they when your setter set the ball. So things like that, you know, are, are also important that to be aware of. 
All right, strategy or in-game adjustment number four. Let's talk about backcourt defense adjustments. Um, so this is actually something that we had to adjust a lot this year um, because we had a we had a smaller blocker. Our setter um, is an undersized setter in our league, and other other teams tried to really go at our undersized setter. And they would hit over them and around them and things like that. So what we had to do is when our setter was front court, we had to have uh, the player in position six, our six back, had to shift a little bit over into area one a bit more to help defend that shot. Because we knew teams were going to go over top and swing and try to swing around them. So when we made that adjustment, our backcourt defense was in a much better position to dig balls when they uh, try to OT our, our setter. So these are kind of in-game adjustments that you will have to make as well. What if you notice that a team is predominantly tipping? If I like, And I've done this with, with girls teams that I've coached. Anytime I recognize that a team is predominantly going to be tipping, I have my player in position five and my player in position one, I have them right on the attack line. So their IDP, their initial defensive position, changes to go right on the attack line. So they're already there. So the minute that player tips, Boom, we're already there, ready for that tip coverage, and we can execute an offense out of it. So that's an in-game adjustment that you can make with your players if you notice that the offense is doing something, right? If they're OTing a player, if they start tipping, if they start rolling deep, these are things that we can change on the, like in-game to, um, to make sure that you know uh, we, we put ourselves in the best position to win and play defense. All right. Um, next thing I want to talk about is, uh, let's see, wait, uh, Serving, yeah, serving to a particular player. So when it comes to serving to a particular player, um, this is actually an in-game strategy. Let's say, that, for example, that you know there's a sub that happens in the middle of a match. Well, if a sub is coming on, that sub is generally cold. They're not as warm as your players on the court. It's going to take them a while to get in rhythm. Well, you may want to serve them. That's a strategy that you can make in-game, serving a sub. Or if you notice that a passer is having a really tough time passing, guess what? You can serve that Tough that 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 passer that's having a hard time passing the ball. That's an in-game adjustment you can make. So, a, like serving strategies, who are you serving to, and when are you serving to them? So that's a, that's a job of the coaching staff to make that call, as well as the players on the court. They can see if there are specific weaker passers and go at their weaker passers. You really want to make sure you try to do that and and do that. Um, do that as early as possible. Don't let those passers start getting back into rhythm or or bounce back out of whatever um, you know rut they're in. You want to. Try to go at them really early and get those quick, easy points. Okay, so serving a particular player is another in-game adjustment that you can make. The sixth one is going after a particular player on offense. Now, this kind of ties back to matchups, um, I guess. But you know, if you want to try to attack a weaker player defensively, like let's say there's a really weak player on defense, and you just want to keep getting them the ball because you know that it's going to convert to an out-of-system ball or a point, then Whatever set you get, you're attacking that player defensively. Now, that might be tough if there's a block in there. So you might have to, you know, again, this is high-level stuff. So understanding when to do this is going to be important. So making sure that you're doing it at the right moment. Or, again, mismatch. If you have a particular mismatch and you want to go after that blocker on offense, then that's an opportunity for you to go after that blocker. So just this is more of like going after a particular player on offense and exploiting the mismatches, whether it's a weaker defender backcourt or a weaker blocker. Regardless of what it is, we want to try to go after them. Okay. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about is tracking serving tendencies in game now this is high level we don't even do this as often as we should but tracking in-game tendencies is something that i've seen a lot of coaches do this where you know they will 
everyone a server goes up and they they do a serve in game we're tracking that serving tendency and then after the first set we'll have some data that we can use to help our passers in the second set saying hey listen number six really likes to float to the six one seam they did it all first set let's make sure we adjust our serve receive to be able to pass that ball better so that is absolutely something that is valuable now what i've noticed is that normally serving tendencies you can see prior to the game like if you have game film on a team you will know their serving tendencies beforehand and they don't generally change in game unless they're doing something for a reason like maybe they're going after a specific player and that's why their serving tendencies change but if you don't have any film on a team and you don't know their serving tendencies then maybe this is a great idea for you to track it in game so in your second and third set you can adjust your serve receive to better prepare yourself to pass that ball all right. So tracking serving tendencies in game is definitely useful. And I've seen teams do this. I've seen it in our league. I've seen players on the on the other team have their charts in front of them and they're doing it in, in game. Like if you're a player on the bench, that's a responsibility of you. And it does it does help. Don't get me wrong. It does help. But you have to make the call if that's something that you want to do on your team. All right. So tracking serving tendencies definitely can be um, a, a good or can, it can be a factor to help you uh, when it comes to those in-game adjustments. And the last in-game adjustment that I, I'll say is, um, I, don't, I personally don't do this and I haven't practiced this, but I know there are other coaches who have, and that's tracking hitting tendencies in a game. So if you have a particular opponent that is just you know dominating the game, or, or you know that majority of the points are coming from this particular player, then it may help having a coach or a player on the bench track their hitting tendencies so that you can adjust when they're front row to give yourself just that much more of an advantage when it comes to playing defense. But you know, to be quite honest, normally when hitters are swinging and they're scoring, no matter what defense you put on them, they're still probably going to score if they're in system and they have the one-on-one. I mean, they're supposed to score. You know, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but when it comes to hitting or when it comes to our game, our game is designed for offense to win. If you think about it, you have four hitters and three blockers. By definition, you have more offense than defense in our game. So it's just an it's in a and, and the thing is is that backcourt players can't block, but every single player except a libero and setter can swing because the setter can't set themselves. Obviously, so they if you have a setter, then they can't be the attacker. So you have four other hitters that can swing at a ball, but you only have three blockers. So you know our game is designed for offense to win, and you know it is what it is. That's just. That's just how the game is played, but you know, that's okay. So let's just kind of do a little recap here and summarize what we've talked about. So the uh, the first in-game adjustment you can make is matchup. So, you know, matching height for height, block for attack. Um, if you have a stronger attacker, you may want to match them up with a weaker blocker. Also, if they have a stronger attacker, you may want to match them up with your best blocker. So uh, in-game, uh, rather, matchups is important and paying attention to that in the first set. So you can make that switch in the second set. Middles, um, we talked about understanding the middle attack, if they like to swing five, if they like to swing one. So as the game progresses, if you see a tendency where they're just swinging one shot, your middle blocker will now take away that shot. And don't forget to communicate that with your back row in uh, player in position six so they can adjust where their IDP is. They're that, that initial defensive position. Um, you know, For example, if we're taking away um, five, position five, then the player in position six is going to move over closer to one so they can be there to play defense more efficiently. We also talked about middles 
releasing early in a certain direction. You know, if they're releasing to the left side early, then um, that's a cue for your middle to be set or your right side to be set. Uh, and this is, I shouldn't say this is not even just for middles. You know, sometimes you may have um, pin blockers that decide to cheat. Like what if you have a pin blocker that decides to help in the middle? Well, if they're IDP, if their initial defensive position on the block is starting really, really close to the middle blocker, well, then that means that they're leaving their their player responsibility alone. They're leaving their check. So, for example, if you have a pin blocker that's responsible for blocking the uh, right side attack and they're helping with the middle, that means your right side, in theory, has a one on nothing right now. And if you have a any kind of fastball to the right side, it's a one on nothing. So understanding things like that, like, you know, where blockers are stationed and whether they're releasing early in a specific direction can help with better setter decision making. And we talked about backcourt defense adjustment. That was, um, that's uh, in-game adjustment number four, right? One, two, three, four. Yep. Yeah, in-game adjustment number four. And that's just understanding, you know, if, you know, like, like I mentioned on our team, we have a smaller setter, so teams really like to go after that small setter and hit over top, and we had to adjust our backcourt defense accordingly to make sure that they position themselves a little bit closer to one so they can be there to help that defensive presence. You know, other things, too, you can look at is, do you have uh, players that are favoring specific types of shots? And if they are, then you can adjust your backcourt defense accordingly. You know, when you, when you play against a lot of beach players, they love to roll into those deep corners. And sometimes on certain sets, that will be their go-to shot because they're comfortable doing that. So, and that's a tendency. So in that event, you would make your in-game adjustment and have your player in position six start their IDP a little more over so they can be ready for those shots if that happens. So things like that when it comes to adjusting your backcourt defense. Um, we also talked about like tipping. If the, you notice the team likes to start tipping quite a bit, then our our uh, player in position five and one may be right at the attack line to be ready for those tips. Then we talked about serving to a particular player. You know, maybe a substitution comes in the game. Maybe a particular passer is having a tough time. So we want to continue to serve to that player to generate more points that way and build more momentum. So serving to a weak player um, is an, another great strategy. And then, you know, um, one of the other things you can do is going after particular players on offense. This kind of ties in with the matchups uh, per se. But if you notice that there's a weak defender back row, maybe, maybe regardless of whether it's a swing or a tip, you attack that weak defensive player to hopefully um, get uh, a point generated. A very common strategy I'll say is like normally when middles serve, when middles serve they and then they go to five to play defense, that's generally your weaker defender. And I know a lot of times attackers will, as soon as that middle is there to serve, they know that that position five is going to be a great zone to attack. And they'll just tip the ball really short into uh, area five, and they know that middles generally have a harder time getting that, especially if the middle is uh, is, is not a great... Normally, I, I, should, I guess I'm kind of judging here. I shouldn't say this, but normally... Middles are the weaker defenders on the court. Your left sides and your, you know, your player in position one, your liberas, they're your strong ones. But your middle is normally the weaker player, so it's a strategy to attack them when they serve. Uh, track serving tendencies in game, and again, this is high level stuff we're talking about here. I, I a lot of a lot of teams do this at the higher level where they'll track in game serving tendencies so that they can adjust in the second and third set if they need to based on a tendency they've seen uh, in the game that maybe they didn't see during film. Because sometimes servers may it doesn't happen very often, but they may change their tendency if they're trying to attack a weaker player or a weaker seam. So us being able to track that in game will help adjust or help 
our team adjust um, when we need to. And then the last one, um, the number strategy number eight for adjustments is tracking hitting tendencies in a game. And I'll tell you, like, there's a lot of coaches that I respect at the higher level that do this, and it does give them an advantage in certain. Like, you gotta understand, sometimes these things that we're doing here, these in-game adjustments, it's not to, to generate 10 to 15 points. This is where we generate that one, that two point, that one or two point swing at a crucial moment. It's, it's those are the nuances. Remember, you know, I, I don't know if you heard me talk about this, but volleyball is to 25. That is a extremely low score. You know, you got basketball that goes to 100 and things like that. Volleyball goes to 25. So if you can, if you can come up with a little bit of an advantage to get one point, that's four percent of your total goal, which which is 25 points. 4%. That's a significant amount of margin that you can gain by getting a little by having a little tendency here that you've noticed that you can exploit and things like that. So, it it definitely is a, there's, there's definitely a purpose to this when it comes to, you know, tracking serving tendencies and hitting tendencies in game as well as as well as all the other things we talked about. So, I I do want to say that you don't have to do all eight. Okay? You don't have to do all eight. Pick um pick one or two or even three if you'd like. I mean, you can do all eight. Don't get me wrong. I, by all means, feel free to do that. But you know, if um, if you did if you did just two of these, even if you just did one of them, that will put yourselves in a better position to get that extra one or two points that we talked about to put yourself in a better position to win um, and score more points. All right. So I hope I hope you got a chance to get some value out of these. And again, you don't have to take all of them, but hopefully you can apply some of these to your gym and, and see those results that that we talked about earlier and and uh, and help your team get those extra points. All right. Um, next week, uh, I, I do believe, I, I think we're going to be talking about um, film a bit more, but I'm, I'm not sure. I have, I have a couple of things that I want to, to talk about. And listen, if you are uh, out there and you would like to me to do an episode on something that I haven't covered yet. So I, I've covered 93 episodes of things. So go back and take a look and think and see if I haven't covered something that you're interested in. And do me a favor and reach out on Instagram. You know, I, I'm, I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, my handle is BrianSing underscore Coach B. Okay, the BrianSing underscore Coach B. Reach out. Let me know if there's anything that you would like me to address in a podcast episode coming up. Um, and that way I, I can definitely cater up some of these episodes to help you guys, uh, you know, get better. Because um, that's, that's what I try to do. And if you're a DVA member, um, you also can access this and and use this as a tool to help with the live trainings that I do inside DVA. Uh, my podcast is is a way where it can. It's just that extra added uh, piece of education that will help in addition to the live trainings that I do inside DVA. And if you're not a member of DVA and you'd like to be, head on over to digitalvolleyballacademy.com and get registered um, and sign up for that waitlist. And if you don't know what Digital Volleyball Academy is, uh, it's my signature membership where I get to work with coaches all around the world and help them improve their game and grow as coaches, become more confident coaches, and really welcome them into my world where they get to see behind the scenes to what we do in our college gym, in our practices, our film sessions, our game planning. And you get access to all the courses that I've created over my coaching career based on all the positions of our game. So it's a really great coaches mentorship program that I, I've, I've been doing for the last couple of years, and we have over 200 coaches inside DVA. Um, so you get access to a, an amazing community of coaches. And we also jump on Zoom and do uh, Q&A and live training twice a month. So it's a great opportunity to meet some of your fellow coaches as well as get that mentorship for myself. So digitalvolleyballacademy.com if you're interested in joining uh, my little movement that I have going here. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Volleyball by Design podcast. I will see you guys next week. Take care. All right, cue the music. Look, 
Are you at the stage you want to be in your volleyball journey? How would it feel to get clarity on your training and instead of taking months to get better, you could improve in weeks, if not days? When I was a young coach and player, I felt this way all the time. The truth is, after I got some great advice on how to be efficient, my learning curve grew exponentially. Let me show you how to be more efficient and effective in this game. I invite you to check out CoachBTraining.com for more resources that you can use to take your game to the next level. I look forward to helping you reach your volleyball goals.